0: It is not often that you get to interview a former employer of yours or someone that you work with. But tonight I have the privilege to have a kingdom stories from down under, Pastor Dr. John McElroy, uh, with whom I've uh, worked and ministered for many, many years. And uh, yeah, at some stage, at one stage in this historical uh, chapter that we've had together, uh, I was employed in uh, the organization that he leads or he led at the time changed his name now and uh, there's so much packed in in uh, john's life and i really wanted to share it and have it here at kingdom stories from the Ananda. welcome to the show john thank you very much nathaniel it's well we've here. known each other since maybe 2000 and maybe 10 or 9 i think
1: yes well i'm one of your few friends that have actually been to romania
0: that's right and survived <laughs> That's right. And you, you, you know a lot about Romania now. You can always it's, tell a story. It was a great experience. It was great beautiful. Experience. Yeah, it's great to be here tonight. Wonderful. Um, you know, the first time I came to Churchlands, I came at a breakfast on a Wednesday morning, and I think my spiritual father, Dr. Ch- Bob Chapman, told me about the meeting. Uh, he said, look, there's a prayer group that meets up north your way. And it's worth for you going there. You know, the few people among the first people who greeted me was Robin Cullen. Uh He was always there. And he made me feel very welcome. And uh, uh, Tischhauser, he was around. Hannes Tischhauser, yes. Yeah, he was then. And um, yeah, just really beautiful bunch of people. And that became almost a monthly thing for me. Mm. I really loved uh, those citywide prayer breakfasts. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's when we began a bit of a journey getting well, to know each other. It's been quite a while ago. Yeah. Because those prayer
1: breakfasts went on for nearly 20 years, I would say at least 15. Yeah. And uh, I write a little bit about that, but uh, we used to have a citywide prayer breakfast. That covered pastors right across Perth. Mm. And when that wound up, because we had a, a fully industrial kitchen at our yeah. church, Great we facility. thought we'd go ahead and host something and try to keep the prayer going. Yeah. But it kind of began to dwindle after a yeah. while because, uh, you know, people get out of the habit, they get busy.
0: Yeah. I think also um, what often happens is we're not getting a lot of the younger people through. Mm. And uh, as people age, they participate less and less. And uh, I think for that season was beautiful for that generation. But then it wasn't replenished. There was no, you know, uh, replenishing. But I think for the time that that incentive was there was wonderful.
1: Yes. Well, things have seasons. Yeah. And uh, I guess I've seen quite a few seasons.
0: You are very seasoned yourself. things, (laughs) Things come
1: and go, yes. You hope you don't lose your seasoning. (laughs) This is what I admire
0: about you, John. You um, just managed to navigate through, you know, a lot of curveballs and and, uh, a lot of difficult challenges that are thrown your way. And you just come on top somehow, which is wonderful. You know, observing you from a distance, I think you have that inner ability to, you know, not put it to heart or not allow it to... Drag you down, but you know you're a great forgiver.
1: I think. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nathaniel. You're very gracious. I think everybody, <clears throat> if they're going to be in ministry, you'll you'll have times when you win and times when you face trials. <laughs> and the trials, if you can just see that they just make you stronger. Yeah. As I say, what doesn't kill you just makes you stronger. That's right. But uh, but I've also had a good wife standing beside me and. Mm. She's been very, uh, very helpful as you have a very good wife as well. And that makes all the difference if you have the support of your wife, your family, a small group of people around you. Amazing how many storms you can weather. Isn't that amazing how much it matters? Yeah. Well, I feel for people that don't have that support.
0: Mm. And they wonder how they make it.
1: Well, and that's, I guess, the tragedy, you know. I've seen over the years many people start the race well mm. but they haven't finished well sure for various reasons so I think my goal is to finish the race well I know yours is as well mm. and uh, we we just need to keep persevering because good things come to those who persevere. Did you marry young or how old were you when you got Well I, I would consider young. I was twenty three. Well not so young. Elaine was twenty two see so well I was
0: I was a lot older. I was twenty nine But, you know, I was actually afraid of making a mistake in marriage. Mm -hmm. I had traveled extensively in my 20s with ministry, with mission work. And uh, you didn't stay in hotels. You know, I had to stay with people. And I have seen a lot of families and lived with a lot of families throughout my travels. And I thought, man, this is going to be... If if I don't marry the right person, I'm staffed. Basically, this is going to kill me. This is going to destroy me. So by seeing this, you know, and also uh, I'm one of seven, seeing my brothers and sisters make mistakes themselves. So I really, really, for three years, John, I fasted and prayed at least once a week for my future wife, not knowing who she was because I was so afraid of stuffing at home. (laughs) <laughs> well, God, God, fortunately, heard your prayers. You've done very well. So obviously, by the accent, you're not Australian. No, no, <laughs> and you made no effort <laughs> to become Australian well, in the linguistic sense. We we tried
1: four years, uh, four years living in the United States after we were first married, and I come from a state called Iowa, which has four distinct seasons every year, and my wife just hated the winters. Wouldn't everybody from <clears throat> now Australia? Now I can see why. <laughs> I can see why. Because uh, Perth has to me the idyllic climate. Yeah. You wouldn't know it from the last month or so. But, no, uh, cold and wet. But this is more the exception, this cold, rainy winter that we're having. Yeah. Than the rule. But I, I love Perth and I would say it sure be shoveling snow. That's
0: right. <laughs> so Iowa, is that a corn country kind of thing? Or yes.
1: Beef? It's a very much an agricultural state. Yeah. It's uh, due west of Chicago. Yeah, it's very rich farming land. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't come from a farm myself, but I had a couple of uncles who were farmers. It's between yeah. the Missouri and the Mississippi rivers, mm-hmm. so it's a very very nice uh, farming area. Pretty flat. Uh, it undulating. It, okay. it. A little further west, it would become very flat. Were you in a small town or in a city? I was in a sort of a medium sized city. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the 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 cities aren't as large in agricultural states. Sure, uh, the closest big city would probably be like Omaha, Kansas City, St. Louis, mm-hmm. Chicago. Yeah, but uh, I grew up in a city of about thirty five thousand people.
0: On an acreage, or in a no, in a, a-
1: in a residential neighborhood. Okay, okay. and yeah. your parents, what were they doing? Well, my parents were both involved in sales work. My dad was. Uh, A meat salesman, because a Mm. lot of meat is produced in the Midwest, beef and pork. Okay. And my mother was an Avon lady. Okay. So she...
0: Oh, so Avon was around back then. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. They've been around for quite a while. And she had a very successful uh, business selling Avon and was often the top Avon lady, top ding-dong lady, as we'd say. Wonderful. In the state of Iowa. Yeah. So, uh, So I come from... A background of people who've been involved in sales work, which I think is incredibly helpful in ministry. You've got yeah. to be able to present, you know. And you have a sister? I do. I've got a younger sister and a younger brother. Okay. So i meet your sister. I haven't met your brother. Yes. Uh... Yeah, Chris, uh, he's quite a bit younger than me. Mm-hmm. 17 years. Oh. So I was just leaving the nest as he was coming into it. Yes. So we don't really know each other that well, but we're very fond of each other and keep in touch, a little bit. Yeah. But, but I'm much closer to my sister, who's of course closer to my age.
0: And she's been here a few times. She has. She has. And uh, in in your childhood, um, were you doing the rounds with dad? We were, you, were you doing anything exciting? Yes. Studying? Yes. As a matter of fact, my father would take me out on his
1: uh, sales territory round. Yeah. And we'd uh, get up and leave at six o'clock in the morning. Wow! And uh, pretty long days—yeah, 12 twelve-hour days out on the truck. Okay. And so I would help him by carrying boxes and, you know, the things that weren't too too heavy.
0: Would he treat you to a nice burger at lunchtime? He certainly did. Yeah, I'm he sure they would have did. had some great burgers there. Oh, we
1: <laughs> we had some great times. I, I was very fortunate. I was the child of my father's youth, Okay. and he uh, spent a lot of time with me. He mm-hmm. was very sports orientated. I think he was always disappointed with me that I wasn't uh, the great sportsman that he that wanted he was, you to be. That I was. Was good. he a football player? He was. He played gridiron. Okay. And he was a very good football no. player, but uh, I. I think there are a lot of broken down bodies walking around <laughs> from, from playing football. So what were your interests as a child? Well as a child uh, you know I would say I, I got involved in sport. I used to play baseball, mm-hmm. basketball, football track. I ran races, mainly sprints. Yeah, But uh, I would say my, my major hobbies, uh, I started playing guitar oh. at about 13 mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I took lessons, then I started singing, mm-hmm. and uh, so really, telescopes are my other hobby. I oh. became very interested in astronomy mm-hmm. and uh, ended up building a telescope by the time I was about 16. Beautiful. So that was that was good. So music and telescopes were my
0: two main hobbies. Nice. Good, good, uh, you know, time, time sort of uh, hobby. To to I mean there's arts obviously involving music and nice yes. pastime, yes. And uh, you know telescope is very focused, very out of the the ordinary, but mm. very insightful. Well, yeah, you can see God's you know amazing well constellation.
1: That's, that's right, and and considering the climate is not terribly clear most of the time in Iowa, oh, it was really that, challenging. Perth has a much better climate for so sure. astronomical observation, but yeah. but anyway, and, and it's much warmer. But uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. I had a cousin who worked for NASA, mm-hmm. and he built a telescope as well. He was uh, one of the guys that helped put the men on the moon. Wow. In 1969. So so I had a, a bit of a an exceptional group of cousins. Were you going to pursue that? No, no, I was never really scientific. Uh, I've always kind of studied liberal arts, mm-hmm. philosophy, religion, mm. that sort of thing has been my forte. But um, I, I very quickly found out that really math and sciences wasn't my forte. Okay. I was better at writing essays and reading and e- English. Well, I, I wasn't really a great reader, but uh, I've had to become a reader mm. as time has gone on. But I think that happens as you settle down a bit more, you know. You... Yeah. So anyway, it's been a, a real, a, an amazing journey. And Christian-wise, if you have any believers? Yes, yes. Uh, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father taught Sunday school. My dad was an elder Oh. in the Presbyterian church. Like we attended every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Probably the key factor, Nathaniel, is that... Uh, I became involved in a really vibrant youth group in my early teens Mm -hmm. and uh, the pastors that we had were very interested in youth and started a uh, a youth group that revolved around music, Mm -hmm. musical presentations. So we did several, what were called sort of rock operas at that time. And we traveled with that service right around the United States. In various churches. In various churches, yes. Mm And uh, so my pastors uh, were from various other places of the U.S. So it was a great opportunity to be in a youth group that actually was doing something. Yeah. Reaching out to the community. But that that was my first real exposure of Christianity.
0: Mm-hmm. And then it just
1: happened. Was there a there. time
0: when you surrendered, when you gave your life to the Lord? Do you yes. remember?
1: Yes, I, I initially gave my life to the Lord when I was 10 years old. hmm I made a commitment to Christ, but then I made a recommitment when I was nineteen, and uh, it's it's kind of funny. Yeah, I was just in my second year of college, and uh, I'd been playing in a rock band. I played guitar and was the lead singer in a rock band for a while, and and kind of sort of gotten off the track a little bit, even though I was still going to church and in Mm -hmm. a rock and in a church youth group. But it, uh, my conscience really began to trouble me, and so I. One night I went forward, at a, after watching a movie about the Second Coming. Mm-hmm. And so, initially I was very infatuated with the Second Coming of Christ, with eschatology. Yeah. So, uh, but eventually, you know...
0: Left Behind series. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's right. You've been left behind. Yes. Yeah. It, was, it was quite sobering and I, I even wondered if I'd ever be able to get married. Yeah. You know, that the Second oh. Coming was imminent. Oh. <laughs> that would have been a pain. Yeah. But anyway, Nathaniel, it was a a great journey. You know, I had some wonderful people around me. And then after making this recommitment, I ran into a couple from uh, our community who worked at a local college and they became spiritual parents to me. So at college, you weren't studying theology at that time? No, no. I was just studying liberal arts. Okay. In fact, I was hoping to become a lawyer. And where were you studying? At a local college. In, in the United States, they have what are called Junior Colleges,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which are two-year undergraduate. You in, do in your, your own, own town? Yeah, it, in oh, my own town. Great. So I, I lived at home for the mm-hmm. first two years, but then I had to decide what I was going to do with my second two years of undergraduate yeah. studies to work on my bachelor's. So I, uh, uh, again, that coincided with my recommitment to Christ, and I felt through a series of circumstances God was leading me into the ministry. Which is amazing because that's the last thing I wanted to ever become <laughs> when I was growing up was a pastor. I thought mm, it's a pretty somber, dull, boring life, but uh, but I found just the opposite. So yeah, I went through the traditional uh, study course for a Presbyterian yeah. of doing an undergraduate degree for four years, then three years of masters. theological seminary. You get your masters of divinity. Oh. And then uh, I got so bored after being out of after being ordained, and I uh, was uh, twenty. I was one of the youngest guys to ever be ordained. It was about twenty three.
0: Not married, still.
1: Uh, no, I I just gotten married. Okay. So just could before the, could my you twenty fourth, could you be ordained?
0: 40th. Could you be ordained? Not yeah, married? Yeah,
1: yeah. There's okay. no problem with that. But uh, then I was ordained uh, and pastored a small church. Mm-hmm. But I'd been pastoring that same church. All through my seminary years, okay. for four years, and that was what helped me keep my sanity because I, I would be at, at the, the seminary and at university for the four days a week, yeah, and then three days at a church out in the country. On the oh, well, he wasn't in town. He it was he no, it was nearby. It was a long drive. Mm-hmm. I would drive. Uh, well, I guess in kilometers would be about four two hundred and 230 kilometers each one way. way. <laughs> to the church in the good three hour season yeah but that was a great experience and I came to really love and uh, become love the people and become a part of the community Beautiful. in a small town and so Elaine and I when we got married we settled down in that small town yeah and stayed there for three and a half more years hmm but uh, but at the end of three years I began to think a change was coming and I just recently enrolled in a doctorate program at San Francisco. So uh, we'd gone to live in San Francisco for a summer in 1980 and uh, on the way back, I just felt very unsettled. And about then I received a call to a church in Western Australia. So that's how we came to live in Perth. And you did your doctorate via distance? I did, yes. uh, I, I had to choose a topic Mm-hmm. which it took me five years to work on, but it was perfect for, <laughs> for moving here. I studied yeah. uh, the identity and mission of a denomination within Australia called the Uniting Church. Oh, it was perfect because
0: that's what you came out of. I mean, yeah, right.
1: well, that's right. I, I came out of the Presbyterian. But, but in Australia, uh, the Uniting Church was formed by the union of the Methodist, Presbyterian, and Congregational mm-hmm. Churches. You'd never see that in the U.S. They're all fiercely...
0: Independent, each other.
1: And they're much larger yeah. there. So, But here it was a matter of necessity that the three denominations got together. So that was really, really uh, a great experience to acquaint me with the Australian. Well,
0: it, it served as a basis for your ministry after that. Yeah. It gave you the uh, yeah. gave baseline. It gave me an a base,
1: a foundation for really uh, understanding the context because the two countries are vastly different. Yeah as you would know in terms of their history yeah in terms of what we face socially so australia is a much smaller country mm. much less complicated but but probably more challenging to actually be in ministry in many ways because it doesn't have the, that, heritage, uh, the Christian that heritage that the u.s does
0: so you married an australian you married elaine what was elaine doing in the united states well, I
1: met Elaine when she was a, an exchange student
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the Rotary Club. So the, the program was that she would be selected out of a field of candidates. Yes. And then uh, she, after selected being selected, she didn't know where she was going. Mm-hmm. But there just happened to be a Rotary Club in my hometown <laughs> that was willing to have her. And so she, she lived for a year. She repeated her senior year of high school and uh, she just graduated from high school so she repeated her senior year yeah and lived with two families who attended my Your home church.
0: church oh how coincidental so we
1: met at a choir practice nice one night in the middle of winter yeah and it was a new experience for her. it was freezing it was and i asked her if she needed to lift home and uh, it was very snowy and icy so very cleverly i had to park the car at the bottom of the hill And walk her up to the top because it was so icy. Nice. (laughs) And you were a gentleman and did that. (laughs) I did. And we just had a very, I guess you'd say, platonic relationship. We dated. I took her to a few dances. I was probably more more like a big brother than a boyfriend. Yeah. At that point, but it was a wonderful experience, and we became good friends. And she returned to Australia. She returned to Australia. And she studied to be a uh, primary school teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, So she did that course and then came back to visit. And uh, then we became a little bit more serious. Mm So uh, So
0: she came back to visit.
1: Why did she come back? Oh, just to see her friends. She had many, many friends. So she came back for a visit. And uh, I just happened to be one of the friends that she saw at a Christmas party. At our pastor's house, and I invited her to sing at one of our services mm-hmm. in the church where I was a student pastor. Yeah. So that's how things kind of took off. Nice. And uh, obviously made a favorable, favorable impression on her. The only difficulty was I was dating another girl at the time. Oh. So uh, that was a bit dicey. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, it all worked out in the long run. And-
0: how did you know Elaine was it?
1: How did I know she was here? She was it. Oh, um, well actually. She was the one. That's an interesting story because I had just reached a point in this relationship that I was in with another young lady where I was praying and really asking God's guidance. And exactly a week later, I got an aerogram, which is an airmail letter from Elaine. Yeah, And she was uncharacteristically bold. She said, Tell me if you think there's any possibility of a relationship between us in the future. And if there isn't, I'll get you out of my mind. Ah, So she was the one who really initiated that showed me that she was interested. And uh, I mean, I always liked Elaine. I thought she was a beautiful person. Yeah. And a beautiful lady. But but I didn't think she had that sort of view of me. Yeah. So I said, well, there's only one way to find out. I'll come out and visit you. So I came out. You came in, to Australia? Came to Australia. And uh, a few months later, I was just getting ready to finish my seminary studies and I could see uh, ordination off in the distance. Yeah. But just before uh, I was ordained, maybe four months, Yeah. Uh, we were married. So I came out for a visit, proposed to her three months later, came back with my family and we were married in Perth. So you got married in Perth? We did nice and uh that was great near her family wonderful and then uh we went back to live in the u.s where we lived for another three and a half years yeah
0: and uh so she moved, to, moved, she moved to the united states she moved with to you the us right she did a lot trips with you uh or you moved into that uh yeah
1: we we lived in the rural town. community yeah. but i was just finishing my school and uh yeah, it was kind of a challenging time because we got back and she got very ill one night and found out she had a defective kidney. Oh and so she had one of her kidneys removed that had been obviously not functioning well mm. for many years. So uh yeah, we we uh I mean that was an amazing double-edged coin because the people of the community really rallied around her. Yes. Because I couldn't be there with her mm-hmm. for the first Few months. Whoa. After she had this surgery. She went at the seminary. I was at seminary finishing my degree. So it was a pretty full on time, but uh, but she's now fine. She's very healthy. And uh, so, it, but anyway, that was kind of a a catalyst yeah. to her getting involved with America, yeah. people getting to know her. And it was a marvelous experience. Was Toby born there or here? No, Toby wasn't born until sometime later. Toby's our first son. Mm -hmm. He was born about eight, nine years after we were married. Okay. In Australia. Yeah, in Australia. So uh, when we moved back to Australia in 1981, Elaine served as a a teacher. Mm -hmm. She taught at Presbyterian Ladies College, a grade two class. And it was just kind of a time of really getting on our feet and getting settled in Australia. So you came to Australia with a job offer? I did. I had an offer of a position in a place called Floria Park mm-hmm. at uh, the All Saints Uniting Church. Across the road from the forum? Uh, no, it, it wasn't there. A couple of blocks from the forum. Okay. But there were two churches. Yeah. That one was formerly Methodist, but the one I went to was formerly Presbyterian. Okay. So that was a, a good experience. I was there for five years, and. Uh, I, I hesitated in moving to Perth because I had to make a five-year commitment, and mm. I didn't leave the United States because I didn't like it there. I was just uh, looking forward to returning, yeah, and taking up ministry there. I never, never ever thought I would be living in Australia, yeah, long term. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, just amazing journey, full of twists and turns. That so Toby was born, and Toby was born. Um, While well, you
0: were at the Uniting Church, it, it was Soapark. he
1: was born during a very tumultuous time because uh, we had a church split mm-hmm. that took place. the The church grew very rapidly uh, in Floria Park, and we had a big youth group. and You know, I think uh, it was just amazing, an amazing time where the church really doubled in size over yeah. about five years. And a a small group of people felt very unsettled uh, at the
0: growth and the change that had taken place. And the change was more in the supernatural or in the charismatic or? I
1: I think the best way to explain it would be more evangelical evangelical. versus liberal. Okay. That uh, I was a very strong Bible teacher and I introduced something called the Bethel series, the Bethel Bible series. Mm -hmm which isn't connected to Bethel in California, but it was very popular in those days and uh, basically aimed at increasing biblical literacy. Yeah, a lot among the so people in the church. People in the church. So uh, that immediately put me at loggerheads with many of the leadership mm-hmm. and many of the members. It was the empowering the people. It was. It was It was bringing them back to a, a more conservative biblical foundation. Mm-hmm which has been my focus all yeah. along. Yeah, yeah. But uh, didn't sit well it with was a challenge. And so the church split happened. And out of that church split, uh, they said, what do you want to do? You know, you can't go back to the, the old church because it was pretty well split down the middle. Those four and those against the direction see, we were going. You had to leave. So I had to leave. And we started a new church which you were a part of, called yeah. Churchlands. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, eventually you later. were a part of it. Yeah. But uh, but that was the origins. It was out of a church split. And there was a group of about 40 adults and 20 kids went down the road. And you and went started, to school. Started meeting in a college, yeah, which is built on the place where your house is at. That's right. <laughs> now, because that was all changed. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it, it just doubled in size every year. For the first five years and we started out with about 40 adults and 20 kids and in five years we had over 500. Wow so it was very very rapid still, growth. still meeting in the college still meeting in the college but we had an agreement with the college that after five years we would uh move on yeah you know we wouldn't tie up their facilities sure. forever so then is when we moved to Balcata. Mm-hmm. that's and when we, you bought the factory, and we we drove well we didn't buy the factory initially we we rented it Mm -hmm. rented the factory which was a windows factory it was and it was built by a christian company it was called vision windows wow so again a real parallel because vision and visionary leadership has been a yeah a major theme in what we've been doing for many years god's
0: vision so so then it continued to grow as we moved facilities so you didn't hold on to the Uniting Church values. You explored new possibilities, new avenues, new ways. We, we did. Um,
1: I think that the Uniting Church was a very good, uh, stable foundation mm-hmm. to start in. But our hope was to actually bring reform to the Uniting Church. Yeah. In my research and writing my doctoral thesis, I saw many things in the Uniting Church in relation to its history, its theology, its mission that we wanted to uh, bring about some change. Yeah. But that never really eventuated in any great degree. So uh, starting new was better. So starting new. Well, we we left the Uniting Church uh, eventually after seven years Mm -hmm. and we moved into this new building after five years. So we had two years in the new building. Yeah. But I, I always felt Change was coming, and uh, but I, I'd had a prophetic word saying not to leave the scene of our trials. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. We stayed, stayed put. Yeah. But then eventually God released us. So you were still, the church, Churchlands was another United Church? Churchlands was initially under the United Church. Okay. Then Nathaniel, we had a year where after we left the United Church, and by the way, we left with a blessing. Beautiful. We asked. Uh, we said we don't want to cause any problems, but these are the issues we have. We would ask for your blessing. So all the they released all the top people in the synod came out and gave us a blessing. And uh, no Spanish Inquisition. No, 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 we managed to avoid that. Fortunately, <laughs> I still got my head and most of my limbs intact.
0: But but uh, maybe they were happy they left.
1: Well, I think there was mixed feelings. Mm. Because we had grown to become the largest uniting church in the country. Oh. Within five years. And yeah. Being a big church, you contribute quite a bit financially. Yeah. And so it, it, it hit them in the what we call the hip pocket nerve. It unsettled also the status quo. Yeah. It did. We we were very unsettling. Yeah. And that was a challenging time because you know, there were there were many who, who really expected me to conform and and I can understand their point, but I, I just couldn't be someone who I wasn't. Yeah. So we, we had a definite predisposition toward evangelical theology, mm-hmm. wanting to build a strong Bible foundation. Uh, as time went on, I became exposed to John Wimber. How did that happen? How did John come to Australia? Well, that's a very good question because I, one of the guys in our church, one of the elders came to me and he said, there's a guy named John Wimber who is going to Auckland, New Zealand. How would you like to go see him? Mm-hmm. And I'd heard about John Wimber from my spiritual father who lived in Texas, and mm-hmm. he spoke very highly of him. So John was conducting a conference at the AOG Church in Auckland, and I flew over there yeah. with another United Church pastor. And uh, we attended that, so uh, I saw biblical Christianity. I saw signs yeah. and wonders, amazing things, and. John was also a very good musician, so yeah. his music was really taking the world by storm. Yeah. The vineyard music at that point in time. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, basically, he came to Australia the next year. Mm-hmm. And an old friend of mine named Dan Armstrong, who now lives in the central coast of New South Wales, he was hosting the conference in Canberra. So I wrestled up a group of about 20 of our people said, look, you've got to see this guy. So um, you went across right before the first session of the conference in Canberra. I went up and introduced myself yeah. to John. He was up on the stage by himself, and I thought, well, Might I'm not well. going to get any opportunity like this. So I went up and and I said to him, I'm from the United States, from Iowa, and that immediately I didn't realize where he was from, but he was from Missouri, huh. just south What's of that? where I grew up. Yeah. And he said, oh, I know your hometown. I used to drive through there when I was a kid. Oh. And so uh, I said, now, I would like to invite you to come to Perth. Yeah. Because Perth is very isolated from the yeah. rest of the country, the only major city on the Indian Ocean. And we miss out on a lot of really good speakers. But I'd be very honored if you would pray about coming. Mm-hmm. So that was how we ended up. He he said yes. And he and, came that year? And or he the came, following no, year? he came the following year. Mm-hmm. He came the following year, I think it was 1988. Wow. Was when he came for the first time, and he ended up coming all
0: up five times to Perth. Now, just to give people a bit of context, 1988, there wasn't, I mean, there was a charismatic movement, a Pentecostal movement in Australia, but nothing like this guy. This guy was.
1: Well, this this John Wimber, he would be characterized as neo charismatic. Mm-hmm. So there were really two moves of the charismatic movement. Uh, yeah. movement one was in the mainstream churches and the other was affecting a lot of indigenous churches uh, independent movements like vineyard mm-hmm. and so Wimber was sort of out of that mm-hmm. and uh, Peter Wagner used a term called the third wave yeah that really expressed where Wimber was coming from but John's ministry in particular was very strong in worship and in the miraculous supernatural. We saw phenomena when he visited Perth and in other conferences that I've never seen before or after him. So that was a a huge impetus to the city of Perth. I think it it formed a lot of relationships
0: between pastors. It was a risk for you as well, wasn't it?
1: Well, it was because I was in the Uniting Church and they weren't very supportive of my involvement, yeah, in that, but but I did it anyway, and uh, there wasn't much,
0: you know. I, yeah,
1: it's risky, but uh, but it was the right thing. It was yeah. the season for and that, and the
0: city needed that. It was a breakthrough. Yeah. It unlocked something majorly in the city. It did in a big way. Really brought people together, and and I
1: think most of my ministry since then, now we're talking twenty five years ago, has been trying to recapture that yeah but what I have found is you can't recapture past moves of God yeah the tide of the spirit is a rising tide Mm -hmm. to use watchman knees terminology and so we have to read the current season yeah and we've moved from a charismatic season I believe into an apostolic season yeah and so apostolic is of course Returning God's people to the priorities and practices of Jesus and the apostles. The early church. In other words, a New Testament church dynamic mm.
0: applicable to the 21st century. Yeah. And that obviously that takes a long, uh, a long processing time for people to even comprehend, let alone shift in that direction. Well, it, it really This, this pioneers, but most people are, you know, they they need to see it working out before they are even adopted. You're absolutely right. Embrace it. You're absolutely
1: right. Statistically, no more than 15% of people fall into the category of pioneers or early adopters. Mm. And they're the ones who will embrace a new move without much
0: experience of it, seeing whether it works or not. And they'll, they'll fail along the way as well. But at least they'll also catch the wave.
1: Yeah. Well, you've got your early majority who once they see working models of a new idea working, then they slowly begin to gravitate yeah. toward that. But we, we just and then got you have to be the laggards who will never No, that's right. And the resistors full back. They're resistors, you you've got basically your pioneers, your early uh, pioneers, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and then laggards. Yeah. And laggards would be 10 to 15% of the population as well. But it it is threatening to some people, you know, they're...
0: Well, they can cause a lot of stir and a lot of problems.
1: Well, unfortunately, there's been a movement, you may be aware of this, called the New Apostolic Reformation. Yes. And um, unfortunately, there are some excesses that have surfaced through the New Apostolic Reformation. And uh, I won't get into a lot of those excesses, but but those excesses often happen. They happen in the charismatic movement as well, yeah. Because people are inexperienced and yeah. they, they they just w-
0: go and they, they go over the top. They do. They go over yeah. the top. Yeah.
1: So people that are very biblically astute will question uh, these excesses, and yeah. so they
0: end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. So and that's a danger it, because every movement has has a call of God on it, and yes, in the hands of man, they do become manipulated. And in a lot of, you know, you've got African nations, you've got South African, uh, South American nations, where, you know, people do go over the top because they are more extremists in a lot of the things that they do. Exactly. They're also more ready to explore the supernatural, but it can, you know, it it can cross lines into the mystic, unfortunately. That's right. It, you, you've you've really got to
1: have that balance of word and spirit. Yeah, and you a know? healthy tension. Like it's, Paul wrote Paul to the tension. Thessalonians. He said, don't despise prophecy. Yeah. Test all things. Hold on to that which is good.
0: Yeah, and that's hard to do. But
1: we, we all know that within the church today, many people are afraid of things that they can't explain. And God's ways are above our ways. Yeah. So we've got to really be open to the spirit, not quench the spirit. Yeah. But I think one of the great challenges is to help people
0: who are suspicious. Yeah. And holding back, or well, at least to tell them, just wait. You know, don't make your judgment just yet. Yeah. Let's come that's, on the journey right. with us and let's explore this. Yes. And obviously, for this, for you, this has been a journey which had amazing. As a visionary a really beautiful compass heading, and it's like you want to fly towards that. But then you've got all these people that are not, you know, you you distance yourself if you're not careful from them, because they just can't keep up. That's right. And they don't see it. They can't see it. You know, it takes time for them to see it.
1: Well, that's it. You know, I, I guess this is part of being patient and realizing that if you're going to be a visionary, uh, you've got to be prepared to plant seed today that you may never see the benefit of.
0: Yeah, it's, you it's almost like the shift. harvest. You, you just create the shift, but you won't actually see the trajectory all, all the uh, finish line. Yeah,
1: and I always like uh, Hebrews 11, where it says toward yeah. the end of the chapter that uh, very few people actually saw the fullness of what they've right. been promised, mm-hmm. but that's okay. God's still proud of him, yeah. And uh, so we've got to pass on the baton, yeah, to the next generation. They may see the things. Well, I look at John Wimber. You know, he he died at the age of sixty-three. That's young. He didn't live to see the fulfillment of a lot of the seed that he sowed, yeah, as an equipper of the saints into the hearts of many, many
0: people, even here in Australia in and around the world. Yeah. yeah, he and he actually we, wrote a book passing on the baton. Yes, yes, yeah, that was my
1: first book and uh,
0: wait, what year did you write that year? In,
1: uh, what was it, 19, no wait, it was 20, 2006. Okay. 2006, so that's been exactly 15 years ago. Wow. Now, Passing on the Baton though is a little bit different to this current book, although one leads into the other. Sure. And you know about Passing yeah, on the Yeah, I've
0: Baton. read it a couple of times.
1: But it's, uh, the, the the prophecy of Malachi 4 always intrigued me. Yeah. Why would the Old Testament end with a kind of an abrupt yeah. couple and of that's... verses? I will send you the, the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, yeah. the children to fa- the fathers, lest I strike the land with a curse. Yeah. So that intrigued me, Nathaniel, and I... I wrote this book,
0: but but again, the book was kind
1: of ahead of its
0: time. Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. As a pioneer, you're you're always probably f- too far ahead. It's yeah. uh, when uh, when I went to Romania to in 2015 to speak about the apostolic. I remember a pastor came to me and he said, uh, "From Cluj, you've been to Cluj to Betania, one of the churches. I think um, David Apple preached in that church. But we preached at the other one." And uh, he said to me, when I presented the vision of what the apostolic means, he said to me, Nathaniel, you are five years ahead of us in your thinking and probably 10 to 15 years in the practice. Yeah. So he said, we, we're not even allowed to think that way, let mm-hmm. alone apply it. So he said, I, I can see it in a sense, he said, I can see it in a foggy sense. But it's almost like I'm not allowed to even consider it. Mm. You know, it's that far off. And I think that's how, that's the gap that I was talking about with yes. your ministry as well. And I think that influence that you've had on me as well as a spiritual father has, I've always been a pioneer. I always break new ground, you know, in the yes. apostolic, even though back then it wasn't called the apostolic. But that's what happens. We distance ourselves from the people because we're so far Entrenched to to push through. Yeah, that's why your book was ahead of its time as well Well, and when you're a pastor of a church
1: where most Of your people are not thinking over the next hill. No That presents particular issues because you're going and you got to come back You're going there, but (laughs) you're not necessarily bringing them with you Because they're incapable of going with you Well, not at your pace. that you'd like them to go
0: not at your pace.
1: Not at your pace.
0: Yeah And some may never go with you. No, and that's or at times they pretend they pretend that they do, but they're not. They haven't bought into it. Well, they they haven't, and that's why you know I think
1: we've got a bit of a catch twenty two because most of us pastor churches, and Mm. that teaches us many very crucial lessons that we need to know, you know, uh, in whatever we do in life, but. At the same time, pastoring a church is
0: you've got built-in resistance sure. to new ideas. Sometimes that is healthy. Yeah. But a lot of the times it holds you back. That's right. So the season changed uh, for you from churchlands. So the churchlands was a, a very blossoming season for a long time, mm-hmm. in the charismatic, in the supernatural. Uh, It took the city by storm. I mean, even the news got hold of of, uh, what was happening at Churchlands. It became the most supernatural church in Perth. So if you wanted a miracle, if you wanted to experience the touch of God, you went to Churchlands. And people did flock to Churchlands. Yeah, I think a lot of people were attracted by that.
1: But then again, you have seasons. Yeah. And uh, that season when John Wimber died, I sensed a real shift Mm -hmm. in the spirit taking place. And as I say, we tried to recapture that with various other speakers who we had come, people like Rick Joyner, who's a wonderful man, wonderful teacher, people like Bill Johnson, people like Francis Frangipan. We've we've hosted some of the fairest and best teachers and speakers and those who moved in the spirit. But again, I I found that you can't return to a past move of God. And uh, the new move of God includes a lot of the things that happened in the past. Yes. But yet it's got distinctives that are very different again. And I think
0: actually is much more balanced and much more helpful. Grounded. And when you embrace the apostolic, it has cost you both on a personal level... Uh, and also in the way that the church dwindled, because you you believed in this, and you pursued it. Yes. Uh, and it did hurt you as well, obviously, with a lot of people along the path, uh, people with whom you journeyed and you trusted, and they just couldn't see it, could they? You know, just on this point, if I might make a,
1: a comment, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned is that we need to know how to handle betrayal. Yeah. Because God uses Christians to crucify us, to crucify our flesh. And so, you know, you can either look at it on the surface as being opposition and naughty, nasty people who are under construction, or you can actually see the hand of God in that. And I was approached by John Kelly, who. We both know, yeah, uh, great uh, apostle from the United States who heads up ICal, and uh, for those people who don't know what ICal is, it's the International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders. That's right, and um, I was approached to become the national leader, convener of the Australian Coalition. Yeah, but the coalition needed a framework. It 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 had just been meeting informally, uh, brought together. People of a like mind. Yeah, but it didn't really have any wheels under it. it. No. So I felt, even though it was a very rough time in the church and the church was in decline, at that point to take on that responsibility, and you were with me during yeah. that time, but uh, but it was the right thing to do because it actually taught me so much mm. about the real apostolic versus the old wave apostolic. That's right. And I think now we're all better positioned and have more of a, a balance in
0: seeing the way forward. But it has m- matured a lot. It, it's matured in you. It's matured in the other people. And I mean, I want to take you back. Was it really betrayal or was it immaturity? Well, put it this way. I, I think a lot of the people that have turned their back on you, they haven't really stabbed you in the back. They just. When called on you because they they couldn't understand this, I think it was too much for them. I think it was all overwhelming, it's maybe scary. When I say betrayal, I
1: think it's one of those things we have to own. It may not actually be betrayal. Maybe the people that this is what from you. they they weren't ready or yeah. but but it's the interpretation we put on it because that's right. It's because in pastors, we never stop being human beings, correct and when you invest yourself into somebody and they turn it around and throw it in your face or try to bring you down it it feels like betrayal it feels like a knife yes, in the in back in the moment it does but but this is this is a big part of uh where we need to be going that we don't look at betrayal as the sins of others against us yeah we see it as a part of god's refining of us. Allowing it. In the, He allows these things to happen. To, to shape, shape us. It's inevitable. I mean, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, he said, those who want to live righteous lives will suffer persecution. Yeah. And that applies to everybody. So there's a Life price. is messy. You, you, you've got to accept that there's a cost yeah. to being a pioneer. Yeah. And when people don't get on board and they sometimes respond negatively toward you or try to bring you down or distance you or marginalize you or alienate you. Uh, Those things take a toll on you. Yes. Internally. But you just have to say, well, that's what we're called to do. Yeah. That's part of the cost of being a disciple. Mm. And if you can get over that hump. Yeah. And realize that you you play a big part in whether you survive those sure. difficulties in how you process
0: it. Yeah. If you... And how much you allow it to, to damage you or to make you really... And some people get really sick.
1: Yeah. You know, I've seen people develop, you know, life-threatening diseases. Yeah. Because, you know, heart attacks, cancer... Because they, they inappropriately interpret the trials that they've been through and it becomes uh, a real burden on your system. Yeah. So, so you know, we're, we're better off to remember our place that that we... John There's Wim- a lot of wisdom here. John Wisdom... Well, John, wisdom. <laughs> John, wisdom. John Wimber <laughs> used to have this saying that I never forgot. He was a man of great little short proverbs. He said, we are change in God's pocket to spend in whatever way he wishes. Amen. So... You know, how he spends us, how he spends you, yeah. how he spends me is his business. That's right. My my task is to obey. My task is to keep on hoping, keep yeah. on believing, keep on persevering. And try to finish the race well and go with the people. And could I just say this? This is really an important insight. It's important that we learn to look for people of peace. Yes, yes. You know, when Jesus sent out the 12, I think it's in Matthew 13, he said, when you go into a village, look for a man of peace and stay there with him. Because these are the people that God has already prepared for you to work with. And a person of peace has three qualities. One, they like you. Two, they listen to you. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, they want to work with you. They labor. Or, or, or they the like your vision. There's the three L labor. Yeah, they're, they're willing to support your vision. They're willing to right. go along with you. So many times the problems we face are because we haven't chosen to work with people that are really people of peace. Yeah. We, we, we see something about them that's attractive. Maybe one of the
0: threes, maybe. Maybe
1: they're attracted to us. Yeah, maybe they, you know, we feel, oh, this will be a good fit. But down the road, you see,
0: oh, Look,
1: but the, you know what really I've also
0: it. seen, John? I've seen that people, God allows people to come in your life for a season as well. Yeah. And God allows them to go out of your life in another season. Mm. Mm. And I know at the time, you know, there's friction and uh, that may hurt in the, in the moment. But sometimes it's for the good, you know, because that season was too good in itself yes. uh, to ignore. We shouldn't ignore that season, you know. And I think there's, there's beautiful seasons. And that's why the Bible says, you know, each each thing has its own season. Yes. And I think if we can just allow that to happen, it's, it's beautiful. But what I've seen in you, and that's why you have survived all of this, and it hasn't given you, you know, stress and depression and heart problems and who knows what else could have come, you know. It's because I think you also chose to forgive. Hmm. Well, Jesus, probably sooner sooner than most people would.
1: Jesus said, "If you don't forgive, you put yourself in a prison." There are many types of prisons. Yeah. Emotional prisons, physical prisons, but but we we must forgive. Yeah. We must forgive, and I think too, if if you, I mean, this is part of God's grace. You know, God's grace is the ability to desire and to do the will of God. Yeah, and He helps us to do things that we can't do for ourselves. Yeah. So if we forgive, if we go before the Lord regularly, He increases His
0: grace. Yeah, within us. And you can pass on that grace because you already have it. Yeah. So basically, a lot of people can't forgive because they don't have that grace. They, they don't. They. For whatever reason, and... Because uh, grace is power. Well, it is. And it's, grace
1: is power to forgive as well. It's the power to do God's will. Yeah. It's the... the I always like Bill Gothard. I don't know if any of your... Oh, amazing. Teacher. Listeners would know of Bill Gothard, but yeah. I... Uh, he taught me
0: many things in the early part of the ministry. So uncomfortable ministry. to sit with him. It just gets to your ego so much. <laughs> Well, he was he was the
1: flavor of the month for probably two decades. Yeah. In terms of his uh, Institute of
0: Basic Life. Amazing, principles. amazing. Somebody introduced me to that and I didn't like it. It was it hit me so hard. It messed me up. Mm. Practical was, wisdom. You know, oh, there was so much of ego in me. I just couldn't I couldn't do it at the time. always was, was great on definitions.
1: Definitions and yeah. his definition of grace is the desire and the power to do the will of god beautiful and i always liked what he said about humility humility is deflecting praise or giving credit to others for what god and others have done in my life
0: that's amazing
1: and pride is taking credit for what god and others have done in our lives Mm -hmm. the opposite of humility. so to deflect praise i mean just little practical things like that. But, but all these things, Nathaniel,
0: they never go to waste. That's right. Well, they haven't gone to waste because we've come this far, you know, I've, I've wronged you many times and you've forgiven me and you've been great, graceful. And uh, look, I look back at the season I had at Churchlands, and and uh, I can't speak higher on, you know, of, of that period. I thought it was beautiful. I think we had an amazing period. And uh, yeah, it wasn't all smooth sailing, but Beautiful chapter of life, beautiful, you know, and also with Southern Cross and Acal and uh, some of the advances that we did and the travels and into Europe and just amazing, amazing journey. And you, you know, you've you've stood by me and uh, you've helped me and you've corrected me and you had patience with me because I Thank was you. still rough and I still am. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Well, you know, really, it's it's kind of like that old adage that we use: iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And I've always known you to be a man who is deeply driven to excel in the things of God. And uh, I saw this in you when we went to Romania together, Mm. that you had incredible favor. Yes, you were a pioneer. Yes, you were uh, leading people further than they wanted to go at the time. But at the end of the day, nothing goes to waste. No, no. The, the seed that you've planted there, and wherever you go, will we'll bear good fruit. And, you know, another, another saying, Jim Hayford taught me this. Uh, another important saying is about a safe person is a person who can celebrate the grace of God in others. That's beautiful. You know, to be safe. And yeah. it's when we become insecure when other yeah. people succeed and try to bring them down or make them look bad we're not very safe
0: no and we're not very mature and you've taught me how to honor people you know uh, you you you've honored the, the the leaders of this city very well and you've honored everyone who came through church lands as well and at Southern Cross as well and uh, I'm grateful for that because I've been able to in one way or another you know pull back and just allow the grace of God to flow in an honoring way. I didn't understand honor before I came to church. Mm.
1: Well, you know, iron sharpens iron. And yes, it was a challenging time, but there's another saying, hindsight's always 20-20. That's right. And I look back, and Nathaniel, just in sharing with, with your listeners and watchers, uh, you and I have, have had some real challenges uh, together. And, you know, but, but I, I can see God's hand on you. And one of the things I would encourage us all to do is to ask God to give us more the eyes of the Father Yeah. to look at other people. Yeah. Don't just look at them on the surface, God, but deep. say, okay, Nathaniel is your son. I am your son. How do you see him? And how can I cooperate? with what you're doing in his life that's beautiful so you know and and i think what's really beautiful is even though we've had our challenges and you know honestly we we've had some big challenges i've had challenges in our relationship Uh, but i feel we're also well on a road to healing
0: yeah we're on a
1: road to to genuine goodwill and yeah and it's an honor for me to be on your uh show here you know to be I no, appreciate it
0: immensely and
1: and I want to see you succeed and uh you know you've got a lot of things ahead of you hmm. uh I'm moving more into a father phase you're still in a Young building father. phase <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> and uh and I'd like to write more books yeah as I know you would as well but but the Lord's done some wonderful things and so you know Praise God, we're doing something
0: right. We're cooperating. Yeah, Um, Tell us a little bit about The Treasure in the Field. Your latest book was just released uh, two weeks ago. uh, I was there. No, it's been about a month and a half ago that Uh, it was released. Okay. But but
1: I've done a couple of prints of it now. Okay. The Treasure in the Field actually has two parts to it. One is my journey in life and ministry over about 45 years. Mm-hmm. The different chapters, I. it's sort of autobiographical. It's almost the story that we... But then I talk about some the lessons, okay. the lessons that come out of each of those chapters. And then uh, it's got 10 chapters in it. The first six chapters are lessons learned uh, in the journey, the birth of a vision, God bringing me to Australia, uh, what I faced in terms of Real challenges, yeah, in early ministry, opposition, uh, betrayal, these sorts of things. But the lessons, the enduring lessons that came out of it. Then the journey of starting the Southern Cross Association of Churches, which yeah. you're a part of, yeah, ordained and, by you, <laughs> yes, ordained. And and the thing is, this has just grown on its own.
0: It's yeah, a, it's a marvelous and it's a beautiful successful. network compared to most denominations. The way it operates and the freedom. Oh, beautiful there's amazing freedom and
1: then the third part of the book is the new paradigm
0: Absolutely.
1: the 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 um, prototype yeah and that's what we're building at Southern Cross Center in mm-hmm. Valga is an entirely new prototype based on the principles that we see in the New Testament in in the teachings of Jesus on yeah. the kingdom of God yep and then the priorities and practices that we see in the Apostle Paul in his three missionary journeys and also in the churches of Ephesus, Antioch, and Jerusalem. And the title, the treasure in the field, has to do with the kingdom, doesn't it? Well, it's one of Jesus' parables uh, in Matthew uh, 13, 44, I think it is. Mm. that The kingdom of God is like a man who discovered a treasure hidden in a field and then he buys it and he it, everything. and then oh. he sells everything and goes and buys the field beautiful well that's been my journey because the greatest of all treasures is to know the kingdom of god and to be in the kingdom yeah so i think a lot of people don't really understand the kingdom they equate it with the church they they think they're automatically in the kingdom if they become a church member but that's not the way it is at all so mm. i really look at carefully what jesus had to say and look at the kingdom from many different angles, from from the parables, principles of the kingdom, uh, various things Jesus taught yeah. that illuminate this greatest of all treasures. And so the premise is that many people in the church today still haven't found the treasure hidden yeah. in the field. So we need to really go back and discover what it is, what is the treasure in the field? How does it apply today and what does it look like in the post-COVID-19 church.
0: Oh, you went that far? Yeah. You rewrote the last chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Well, looking ahead. Wonderful. So looking ahead, talking about looking ahead. um, What would you like to be known by in the city or the legacy for? Now you have uh, six grandchildren from uh, Toby and Holly. Holly is in Norway. Uh, and uh, Toby is in South Australia with four children. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, beautiful, beautiful generational blessing for you. What would you like your grandkids and the generations that the Lord will allow us to have to say about Grandpa? Well,
1: my enduring prayer is that belief and faith in Christ will be the inheritance of every generation of my family that follows me. That they will all know Christ. Amen. And they will all be saved. Mm. And they will all be people who, in their own way, fulfill their assignment. And that they grow up protected and unpolluted and undefiled by the rapidly changing world. Yeah. And that they will will know Christ personally for themselves, because he's the he's the way, the truth, and the life. Of course, and and I'd like to be known like Wimber was as an equipper of the saints. Yeah, and my particular gifting uh, in the fivefold is, I suppose you'd call an apostolic teacher.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That I'm a teacher. I was trained to be a teacher in with an apostolic the ministry, major. with an apostolic flavor. Yeah to it. I, I wouldn't be so bold as to call myself an apostle. Others do, but but if I am an apostle, I'm the least of the apostles. That's beautiful. And so I just want to fulfill whatever it is God has called me to do. My life's been a life of great surprises. I never imagined yeah. I'd be living in Australia. Never imagined I'd be able to write books, Yeah, read them, let alone write them, and, and to actually have something to say that might be of help at this particular juncture of history
0: to the body of Christ. I'm sure many people will find this book very useful, John, uh, with your story, because it's so entrenched in your story. It's not just a theological book. It's a story book. It is. It's a real life and uh, just combining and bringing it all together. Mm. I think there's a lot of gold in here. So well done. I think um, the body of Christ will be very blessed and leaders will be very blessed by this book. So I encourage our leaders, uh, our uh, our listeners to get the treasure in the field. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it from Southern Cross Center or Southern Cross Association Association of Churches as well online. Well, that's probably it. We have to wrap this up, but what an amazing story. What an amazing journey. And I just pray for many blessed years ahead. And in this new prototype that, you know, God has prophesied and given, basically, has promised to you, I pray that you're able to um, step into it and, uh, you know, model it for us. Because I think there's quite a few of us waiting to see it more into, you know, into practice.
1: You know, one of my favorite sayings is by Isaac Newton who said, if I've seen further than other men, it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. Beautiful. So I think you and I both have been gifted to stand on the shoulders of amazing men and women who are the generals of -hmm. God in our generation. So we need to step up to that because there's a time when the baton gets handed to us and we need to build into others in the same way that we've been built into. Yeah. So that's. Well, what you've it's about.
0: certainly carried me on your shoulders. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what an amazing uh, journey John McElroy has had, and what a beautiful story. Um, yes, challenging. Yes, uh, a lot of ups and downs, but a lot of forgiveness, a lot of grace, a lot of power, and ready for the new prototype that the Lord wants to give um, to this city through. Um, John's church and through other ministries that he's involved in. Well, I encourage you to look up this book, The Treasure in the Field, and grab a hold of it as soon as possible. You can buy it on Amazon as an ebook as well, anywhere you are in the world, and read it and take it to heart because there's a lot of gold. <laughs> there's a lot of treasure in this. So yeah, enjoy it. Uh, if you love this content and our stories that we share here at Kingdom Stories from the Ananda, please share it with other people on your social media, on your channels, invite other people to like this and uh, also to give us five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts because then Apple promotes this podcast as well. You'll find us also on YouTube and you'll find us every week here at Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Lord bless you. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, Every story is worth sharing, including yours.